Welcome to the Cultured Guitarist. My name is All About That Al. Al. <laughs> With me, hating the nickname game as per usual, is can you stop making the names about Al Casper? <laughs> and our guest, I'm really excited about this guest, is Adam is not quite Al. <laughs> Adam from Satellite Amps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How you doing, Adam? I'm doing quite delightful. How are you guys? <laughs> I'm great, man. I'm I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, you're disappointed by the nicknames, Casper? As uh, yeah, <laughs> just yes, yes is the answer. Yes is the. <laughs> I I just I I hold out hope every week for something, something good. I think the month and, and sometimes. <laughs> You're gold, and other times you're garbage, and I just don't know where the balance is. I actually think I'm always golden, and I think the month-long Al-themed nicknames are pretty good. Is this going to go all October? I don't know. Jeez, I hope not. Okay. You got, Will you that know, be Al Halloween? <laughs> oh, 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 no. Oh, yes. What have you done? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. Oh, I know. Is that it? Holiday. Are we done here for tonight? That's it? That's it. Thank you, <laughs> Thank sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> You've done humanity a service. Oh, that's, I I always wanted my own holiday, and now I have it. <laughs> best best thing is, is he's not writing anything down, so he will forget by the time the show is over. Oh, it's on. No, that's gotta, not something he's going to forget. Well, he doesn't listen. listen to the show. He said that. <laughs> well, I'm going to brag about this. This is going to be a thing. All right. <laughs> well, let's kick it off with you, buddy. What's been going on this week? Oh, so... I bit half the bullet to today, like a half an hour ago, and I I bought a power supply, but not the full meal deal. I actually just got a little bit of it. I bought, we just talked on the phone about this. You bought something in the meantime? Yeah. Welcome to the digital world, pal. Okay. <laughs> so uh, everybody knows, if all of our listeners know, that I've been mulling and fighting every impulse to buy the first thing I see over power supplies for the last few months. Um, so as a as a problem that came up today, I had a boss wall wart that was running three pedals and my tuner crapped the bed. <laughs> let's Okay, let's be honest. The fact that you have like, at this point in your pedal board game, mm. the fact that you kind of have more than one cheapy cheapy power supply involved in your board i don't man i don't actually find that the the boss ones the wall warts just the plain simple one pedal 300 milliamp wall wart. it's not a cheap product it just listen all guitar players know if it doesn't cost maximum dollar you don't get maximum tone <laughs> okay well <laughs> so that happened today and uh, so i bought an, an outlaw uh iron horse the tuner uh with eight uh, power supply outputs on it. Uh, I'm going to use that as a backup uh, for some of the simpler pedals, like my boss pedals and, and things. What's up? I'm just hearing a weird dangling noise from somewhere. It's my chair. Oh, is that what that is? Yep. Okay, yes. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, back to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I ordered that. Uh, it'll be here next week. I'm going to... So, by... Yeah, by the, time, uh, by the time this airs, I should have it, I hope. All right. Congratulations. Yeah. Tuner and power supply. So the old polytune's getting... It's getting the boot. I'm going to keep it, but 
for now. Just right. in case, just in case, I've been reading reviews on the Iron Horse, and I don't. I'm not gonna like take any of that as gospel, but uh, it, you know, it's a fifty-fifty or a seventy-thirty of people that say this thing is great, it, everything is accurate, everything's great, and then there's some, you know, there are naysayers of, but with everything. So I'm just gonna evaluate it for myself and go from there. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's my thing. I did play your jazz master. Um, it's jazz. Yeah. <laughs> How are you feeling about the descendant trim? Was... I really like the feel of that yeah. thing. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I'm, our studio is in the basement, and it's a bit of a humid space, so it had a, a little bit of time to sit here and drink some water. And uh, the, yeah, get yeah, a little I'm, bit of I'm noticing uh, these because you know it, the climate it's been living in is uh, pretty dry. Yeah, up on the up at your place there, uh, hot and dry, and it's been set up for that. And uh, I'm definitely noticing a change in the. Uh, play here but yep. yeah anyways it's right all right okay I like i like the trem system i'm not sold on the rest but we'll uh i'll take another swing at it yeah you're you're very hit or miss with the single coil anything i really like the neck pick up on that like mm. i like the the p90 in the neck position i just that the bridge is so so sparkly <laughs> i don't know it's, it's not my <laughs> favorite thing going from that back over to my to my Aria with the the Demarzios, um, I like that a lot. Even on the the like the, the, the parallel and the meat of yeah. humbuckers, yeah. Well, and then the and I've got them into series parallel. So when you you pop them into that kind of single coily mode, um, that's about all the sparkle I like. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> see, uh, well, I'm I'm looking for see, I, and I, I have no idea what this guitar is going to sound like in the long run because I got those right pickups coming from uh, Dan at More Guitars, right. And, I don't even know what he's sending me. He's That's so great. <laughs> they're ma some kind of magical pickup in the shape of a uh, Jazzmaster housing. So God only knows what that's going to be. Uh, but anywho, uh, Adam, what uh, what have you been up to this week, homie? Um, you know, distance learning, COVID, mm. <laughs> watching the news. Yeah, you know, <laughs> waiting to see what the next thing is going to happen to blow up in the world. Yeah. Sweet, it's been fun excitement. <laughs> Oh, no. Well, all right. So, so the fun excitement was the day we found out that uh, we'd had a water heater replaced in my shop about uh, three months ago when we had a big flood. Now nah, it's probably oh crap, it's probably a year ago. Uh, anyways, when we got plumber did it, he uh, wired up the electricity wrong, so we were actually creating an electrolysis issue in in our water heater, which for the scientists out there means that we have hydrogen in our water pipe. Which we found out today that we can light our water on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so there's everything's perfect then, <laughs> no yep. issues whatsoever. Sounds amazing. no issues, none at all. That, see, that could be a real. You could have some fun with that, like yeah. <laughs> like the MythBusters uh, did that one time. <laughs> yeah, Obey was, me, or I will light the water you drink on fire. Uh, there was a buddy that told me about it when because the pipe was gurgling and he had mentioned it. And I was like, ah, sure. He's like, no, no, take a lighter to it, and I did, and it was a fireball. It was, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so that's part of my day that's not a problem i'm familiar with having so how okay like i'm assuming it's not <laughs> catastrophic enough like your your water pipes can blow up throughout the building no no there, there's no real danger unless you take a lighter to the water right so as right. long as you're not trying to light it on fire there's no real danger <laughs> okay. the shop's not gonna blow up but it is and, a shop, and, it, and you're soldering things. It is a and... shop, and it's, you know, you, you pay rent, so the landlord's got to deal with the stuff. She dealt with the plumber, and this is, you know, it was, you know, all on her. 
now because we know what we're doing, we're going to go, I can, I can fix it. I just didn't know it was doing this. I know how to wire up an, an electrical circuit, so that's not a problem to fix it. And then we're not going to, the building's not going to blow up because. Yeah, it's I'm just imagining somebody like, oh, I better douse this candle I put out. Or <laughs> no, I, I've been in this. Well, we don't have any candles. And right now it's just me in the shop. So there's nothing. Uh, it's uh, We don't have anybody coming inside. So as long as I don't light the water on fire again, we'll be fine. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So um, are you just in the shop by yourself because of COVID restrictions? Or is that your – I don't actually know how, how big or small. It's also because I'm starting to enjoy it. Mm, okay. It started off as COVID, it started off as COVID restrictions. Uh, and it still is, uh, you know, we're down in San Diego. I've got a 4,000 square foot shop. Uh, the, if you're watching Instagram, you see my shot for the bunker, which is part of the basement, uh, the big live room usually. Uh, and it's, uh, when, when, uh, COVID hit, we all would, you know, we were all told that we we're going to go home. We didn't know when we we're going to come back to work or anything. So I packed up my truck with all of the important stuff and took it home. Uh, and then, you know, I've got a, a wife and three kids and my wife's like, you know, you can, you can just go to the shop by yourself. You don't have to stay here. Go ahead. <laughs> so I did. So I started coming to the shop and doing work and, uh, we still do drop-offs at the front door and pickups for people that need to, but we just don't have a lot of people randomly in the shop. Uh, so it's just me. Okay. How many normally are in there working with you? Uh, the most we've had was seven. Uh, normally it's about two or three. Okay. So it was never yeah. a crowded place in the, you know, in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Or t- well, so part of what it is, is, is because we have this big live room and, and there's, uh, I know a lot of musicians, we have a lot of foot traffic that comes through. We have people that want to come hang out. They want to come try stuff. Uh, and I try and make my stuff available so that when somebody, <sighs> okay. So, um, one of my issues when, when, when dealing with, with any kind of musical instruments with people is people are like, oh, well, you know, I want it to sound like a uh, Vox AC-30. And I go, all right, well, have you ever played a Vox AC-30? I go, well, you know, I've got one of the CC-2s. And I go, okay, have you ever played like a 1965 AC-30? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I go, no. I go, okay, come downstairs, play this. This is what our point of reference is so that we can have be on the same topic for conversation. Right. That's, that's, you know, amazing, that's really great because I, I got to admit, like um, – I know it's been the last maybe 10 years. Everybody I talk to seems like is like, yeah, I, I play an AC 30 or I have an AC 15. It's always the, the, the custom classic two. Right. Um, I, I don't think I've seen anybody with a real one. And well, I shouldn't say real, real yeah. but uh, more classic. original style one. Um, the, they're much more uncommon these days. Yeah. Well, and the, the CC series of amps, they're fine amplifiers that I don't have anything specifically against them. It's just, it, it, it's, we're talking about two different things. If we're talking about how comparing sonic versions of what that one was, you know, I have an AC, uh, it's 1965 super twin reverb, which is an AC 30 top boost with reverb in it. It's like the most decked out AC 30 you can get. It does not sound like a CC series AC 30. They just don't sound like the same animal. Right. Mm. So it's, it's, I try and make sure that when, and I mean, that's one of the examples, but I try and make sure that if we're having a, a sonic, conversation about dealing with you know we're using a, a, an amplifier as a reference or a guitar or something that we're both talking about the same thing so it's so you know when pre-covid was you know we would have uh you know there were times where there'd be you know 15 or 20 people hanging out in the shop during the day you know coming and going and doing different things you know and there were some days where we wouldn't see anybody mm. uh, but that's, but it was kind of hit or miss that's a 
That's a bit of a bummer. Like that just one of the most wonderful experiences I've had uh, as a guitar enthusiast is the experience of visiting doctor scientists mm-hmm. uh, in their, you know, in, well, in literally in Ryan's home um, and watching where they kind of make their pedals and, and just kind of seeing that experience and stuff. And so just thinking about like for those lucky enough to be in the San Diego area, being able to stop by your workshop and test out what you're doing and also like get references of the stuff you use for like that you know, original AC 30 just, that's a cool, and just the experience that that is, that's a, for a lot of guys or, or I shouldn't say guys for a lot of players. Um, your, your shop is their version of Mecca. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and it, it's, uh, you know, these are all tools to be used and nothing is sacred in my shop. So it's, we, we also try and, you know, it's not all just top end, you know, desirable, rare pieces of vintage gear. There is some of that here. There's also, you know, I have a Fender Sidekick 15 sitting 10 feet away from me that's you know, worth about $15, if that. <laughs> I'd give you 20, sir. Yeah. Just because it's you. Right. Canadian, though. Yeah. Canadian. <laughs> really about 12 bucks. <laughs> you know, we we try, and, try and have a good variety of stuff. And it's also, you know, this gets me into a little bit of a ranting and raving about some of the stuff, but, you know, with a lot of companies over the years that have been selling larger amps than most people need, you know, I, we occasionally will get customers that, uh, there's those two guys right now. They're in a band. They're very nice. They really want our hundred watt version, one of our amplifiers. And I'm trying to explain to these people that they don't play to enough people in a nice enough way. Cause I don't put a master volume on a hundred watt amplifier. Mm. There's no point in it. So I find that there's a lot of people that have never actually played a 100-watt amplifier or even a 50-watt amplifier without a master volume. They've never experienced that. And everybody should. Everybody needs to, to, to find out what 50 watts really is without a master volume. Like, f- turn that thing up and hear what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree. Um, big fan of the sound of a JCM 800 just roaring. Yeah. And that amp. You know, my, my, oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, my main bunker, I'm staring. This used to be a recording studio. So my desk, the, the, the mad scientist desk that is my, you know, the one in the downstairs bunker is, you know, there's a big piece of glass looking out into the main big room. And it's, you know, I'm looking at my JCM 800 and right next to a 100 watt full stack and then a 50 watt full stack and then another 100 watt full stack and then another 100 watt full stack. So, I mean, it's, they're just like staring at me, beckoning. <laughs> How do you get anything done? <laughs> I mean, oh, I would spend too much time playing guitar. There is a bit of that. Uh, there's also times where you find that I, I've, I, I get, um, uh, I get crap for it sometimes from the other guys in the shop. Is I play the same stuff a lot when I'm testing things. <laughs> You know, it's, you know, there's not as much time where I get to go and and play for long periods of time, but there is something really nice about, you know, at the end of the day, just firing off for five minutes and then going home, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's because, because the bunker is underground, I can go fire those up right now and none of my neighbors care. Yeah. Which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Four of them at a time is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah, I do I, remember <laughs> we had that one, the dual showman with the 412 cab. It was Ooh, 100, yeah. 120. 
Do you yeah. do you recall the uh, the like 90, 1990, 1991 Fender Dual Showman amps? Do you remember that series? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's a lot you're, of fun. You're yeah. one of the very few people who does because yep. everybody I've talked to about that amp is like, oh, what? Yeah, this <laughs> this one was special because it was in snakeskin Tolex. It was fantastic. But that well, it, it, it was the series right after all the Red Knob Twin and all of that. Yes, yes. The yeah. Evil Twins. The evil that's twins, right. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a great sounding app. I thought it was like incredibly modern for its era. Yeah. Like it was just mind blowing to me that an Absolutely. Amp, amp made in 91 had that from Fender specifically had that kind of just crushing British, British esque overdrive and an XLR out and, and you know, power switching options. It was just like, who the heck at Fender thought this up in 91? Yeah. But I mean, I, I can get you the guys' names if you want them. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was, you know, when, when Fender redid the, did everything, did the red knob, you know, the evil twin and all that, and then moved into this, they were getting outside people that were sound engineers and whatnot to come in and help design these amplifiers for modern players because they were trying to lose some of the vintage history of Fender being kind of a boat anchor for them. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that was a wise thing for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, look at the look at that series that that Paul Rivera designed for him. I mean, very desirable, not because they're classic. Well, they're classic now, but not because they're classic uh, deluxe reverbs and Princetons, but because they're just a totally different animal and uh, kind of paved the way for Fender to become a very right. different company. Uh, well, I mean, look at Bruce Zinke and what he did for them. I mean, he did the. Uh vibra king and he did the prosonic mm. you know, two, two very different amps one very vintage influenced and one very not vintage influenced <laughs> yeah there's yeah man that could be a whole episode unto itself <laughs> just yep. nerding out about some of that stuff um i could do, do a whole episode on just my interaction with bruce zinke you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay adam you open the floodgates and i'll <laughs> i'll be pestering you every other week hey yep. man you want to come back on the show and uh, <laughs> 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 you talk about zinky amps all you want. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I actually I would love to do that because I zinky is an amp that I a guy whose amps I tried, admittedly very few times. Living in northern Canada, stuff like that was pretty hard to get my hands on. Right, um, uh, Bruce is a Bruce is a very smart guy, uh, and he's done some very interesting things over the years. And I mean, the little smoky amp, I think, is what his probably his legacy is going to be. Uh, I think so. I think it's the most well-known. I mean, just, yeah, I, it was just one of those names that like the first time I heard Zinke, it was like, what the heck, Zinke amps? And why are they so expensive? And oh my gosh, they look really neat. Um, yeah, Bruce, Bruce is, well, uh, the first time I met Bruce was at a concert, an outdoor uh, concert here in San Diego, uh, probably around uh, 2007, 2008, something like that. Uh, and he just happened to be backstage and uh, I was fairly new to the whole thing. Uh, had only been doing it for about two or three years uh, and social distortion was playing my amps and they were playing. And I was sitting on a truck watching them oh. and this guy sat next to me with his girlfriend and it was Bruce and his now wife uh, and they were delightful people. They introduced themselves to me and we hung out all evening and then we went and got, uh, they, they wanted seafood. So we, I took them to a seafood restaurant and, uh, we've made horrible jokes. Uh, well, all right. So Bruce kept telling, basically 
dead baby, dead lawyer jokes. That's what he's just like tons of them, <laughs> one right after the other. And we'd been, we were just waiting for our table. Uh, and I was mostly listening and I've got a small amount of jokes I can pull from. I don't have that many, but, uh, you know, one of my favorites is, uh, why is ginger Baker like Seven Eleven coffee? I don't know. I why. don't know. They both suck without cream. so bruce got up and left he walked to his car he was leaving the whole event he was just like i'm not having dinner with you i'm so offended apparently ginger baker was a gigantic friend and fan and everything i was like oh my god like i've just stepped on the worst possible sorry dead babies dead lawyers are fine but ginger baker coffee no 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 his girlfriend convinced him to come back and we had a lovely evening after that oh 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 bruce i mean we all have our buttons right yeah (laughs) we do it was just out of the blue i didn't realize i could offend him that easily that is pretty okay i I gotta be honest if i were sitting with somebody having a dinner and uh they're cracking dead baby jokes which is pretty dark stuff uh, I don't know if I would ever go and think that a random ginger baker joke would be the one to send him over the edge. Um, yeah, yeah that's a pretty, I see why you stepped on that line, mine. <laughs> I would have walked on it too, had I known yeah. the ginger baker yeah. joke. Um, well, now if you ever meet Bruce, yeah. <laughs> that'll be, that'll be my icebreaker. Hey, yeah, ginger baker, like Seven Eleven coffee. <laughs> He'll just squinty eye glare at me and just be like, "You were talking to that Adam guy, weren't you? <laughs> Get away from me!" <laughs> uh, well, okay, I got us a little sidetracked, but for just—I don't know how many times you've talked about this in other shows. I know you've done a lot of other podcasts and stuff, but um, can you give us a, maybe a, just a brief version of uh, the Adam Grimm's origin story? How did you get? I, I was doing I satellite? was born in 1972. Um, <laughs> raised in, born and raised in Southern California, uh, had a lovely childhood. You know, uh, basically when I was about, uh, let's see, it's like 30, uh, 32 years. All right. So uh, in the late 1990s, a friend of mine called me up and said, I'm starting a Hawaiian band. Do you want to be in it? And I said, uh, I don't, what do you need me to do? He's like, I need you to play ukulele. I said, I don't know how to play a ukulele. I said, it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> I said, all right, I'm in. That's great. I'm in the band. So uh, I went up to his place, and, and him and, and myself and three other guys sat around, and we formed a band called the Cheap Lays. We played Hawaiian music. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, the guitar player was a woodworker. The lap steel player wanted something called an he wanted an Epiphone console grande, which was something they made in the 1930s. I think Epiphone made maybe two or three of them uh not many and what it is it's an amplifier with legs that come off and legs form a case for the lap steel so the woodworking guy said i can pull i can make the wood i just don't know any electronics uh i had an antique store and a vintage clothing store at the time and had known a guy that did radio repair and so i called him up and said listen i need to make a guitar amplifier he said all right i'll help you make a guitar amplifier and so we did we made two of them uh, and they were the, the amplifiers. I had never, I had fiddled around with things, but I had never really built anything from scratch like that. Uh, and it was loosely based off an Epiphone Zephyr and a Gibson EH-150 uh, amp. I got a Charlie Christian, the smaller version of the Charlie Christian amp. Uh, 
And that really got me into a love of making electronics. Uh, the band broke up. Uh, it, it happens. Uh, I shut the stores down. Also happens. Uh, and I had a lot of money and nothing to do. So I uh, traveled around a bit, messed around. So just to uh, clarify, at this point in the story, you were yes, a yes. musician. And I was you a had musician. a lot of money. I was a guy that had an antique store and a vintage <laughs> clothing business that also played in a Hawaiian band on the side. Okay. Oh. Because okay. <laughs> I, I know a lot of musicians, and uh, we're strangers to money for the most part. Uh, the Hawaiian band was the most successful band I've ever been in. We were on the Warp Tour. We were, uh, I played in front of 15,000 people with no effects, doing a cover of a no effects song in a Hawaiian style on the Warp Tour to 15,000 very confused children. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, it was a lot of fun. No doubt. Uh, yeah, so uh, when I came back, I uh, was talking to a buddy of mine, and I said, you know what, I think I want to start trying to make amplifiers. Uh a lot of the stuff that was available at the time I thought was overpriced crap. And I thought I could make a better product. I had never gotten into manufacturing at all and had no idea what I was doing. So, uh, I got this guy to help me wire them. And I said, all right, this is what, you know, I designed the amplifier and we made 25 amplifiers. That was the goal. And so the first couple that we made, uh, I got a couple of musicians that I liked to try them. Uh, one of them was a guy named Ron Heathman who passed away uh, a couple months ago. Uh, and he got the first one uh, as a professional and he loved it. And it was like, this is great, but it's not loud enough. And that was what, what ended up becoming our Neutron, which is our 18 watt model. Uh, and then uh, I said, okay. So I made one that was twice as loud and called it the Atom. And uh, there's a little side note to that. Uh, my wife's name is Gina. The guy that was helping wire him, uh, his nickname for my wife was Neutrogena. So that's how it became the new. That's how it came, the neutron and the atom. I named after myself. So, okay. uh, uh, and as I was going to deliver that amplifier, the first, well, I kept the prototype. The second atom that was ever made was going to Ron to Rontros from the Super Suckers. Was taking literally driving from my shop to go deliver it to him. And my friend O, Otis Otis Bartholomew, who is on, he's Otisserie on Instagram. He's all kinds of things. He was in the Hawaiian band with me. He said, uh, stop by Soma, which is another club in San Diego, and said, uh, social distortions here, show them the amp. So I went, okay. So I went down to Soma, uh, met Johnny Two Bags, uh, had grown up on social distortion, knew them from, you know, they were the second major show I ever went to. Which, by uh, the way, I'm trying not to freak out like a fangirl over mm -hmm. the deck. Mm -hmm. yeah, anyway, that's, that, that, that's fine. <laughs> I understand. Uh, and, you know, met Two Bags and, and was talking to him and, uh, was backstage said can i try it i said sure so we plugged it in uh there was another band that was trying to sound check and security came over and shut us down for being too loud and johnny said can i have that one i said no but you can have the next one he said great i need two of them i said okay uh and then uh his tech chased me down i was like you know social distortion doesn't do any endorsements or anything i said oh trust me this isn't an endorsement i'm getting paid for this <laughs> and he's like oh okay great yeah that, that's perfect i said okay you know, and it's, they, they have, you know, they have their brand that they, they cover very, you know, very well. They've done a wonderful job of it. Uh, and two bags has been a great friend and he still plays number three and number five. He won't actually let me touch number three. I think I've changed the tubes in it twice in, since 2005. 
it's his main amp. Uh, he, number five, he let me put in a prettier box and make it look nicer because number three really looks like uh, a caveman built it. Uh, <laughs> the circuit is still the the circuit is still the same, but the box was I was building boxes in my backyard with a skill saw and you know liquid nails, and I had no idea. All my measurements were done with uh, at the time I was a chain smoker, so all my my cabinets are like two cigarette boxes high by four cigarette boxes wide. <laughs> <laughs> my cutout is exactly the same size as a cigarette box on its side. <laughs> Never uh, question the artist. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it worked out really well and the dimensions work. I'm very happy with how they look, but that's really how it came about. No, uh, that's it, honestly, I love accidents. that. I, I mean, I wanted some uh, behind the scenes tidbits and you're delivering in spades. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty good. You know, two bags end up getting, uh, he's got, I don't know, seven of them now, I think, six or seven of them. Because, you know, he needed one for the Cadillac Tramps gigs. He needed uh, two different combos for the two-bag side project. Uh, Mike kept borrowing one, so he ended up having a spare for Mike to borrow until Mike finally uh, got his own. Uh, and then Mike's Mike got another one for his son. Uh, so, so, yeah, it's uh, – they're, they're all – everybody in that camp is really, really good. Uh, they're very nice people. Uh, it's, uh, they're tough nuts to crack, but once you get in there, they are, they really treat you like family and they are good people. That's awesome. No, they, yeah. honestly, the, Mike Ness has always given me the, the warm and fuzzy feelings. Um, just seems like a really, a guy I really want to have a conversation with, you know? Yeah. He, he, he's a good guy to have a conversation with. He has his passions. And if you talk about those, you will have a very long conversation. If you want to talk about, you know, tax law or something, yeah, he's not going to talk to you for very long. I've only but, got about 10 seconds of tax law I can get through. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, and that those two guys, uh, Rontros and Two Bags, were really the gateway to a lot of the people that got to know who we were. You know, because it, it's those two were directly responsible for Mike McCready Pearl Jam playing stuff. You know, and it's because, you know, Ron was friends with them and Two Bags, Social Distortion opened up for them. You know, and then that is a, like how crazy was that for you to to start this off, to to you know get in with the social D crowd and then see your one of your amps you know hitting stadiums with Pearl Jam was that that a bit of a it's, weird moment? It's a little weird, but it's also just like this is kind of my life, so like I don't get that freaked out about it. But so the so all right, so I knew that Pearl Jam they had gotten two amps to try out, and it was right before they did the PJ Twenty Tour, the big like. You know, reunion. It wasn't really a reunion, but them coming back out and touring again. So there was another guy I had met uh, at the New York Amp Show uh, by the name of Night Bob. Uh, Night Bob is one of these guys who, if you are on the inside, everybody knows who Night Bob is. But if you're on the outside, you nobody you won't hear of him. He's just like this weird. Uh, he's not weird. He's an awesome. He's one of the, the greatest people in this industry ever. Uh, so Night Bob at the time was uh, working for a guy named Walter Becker. So Walter Becker is in a band called Steely Dan, which is why, you know, we can talk about peg all night long. <laughs> uh, uh, but night Bob started off. Uh, he was a uh, Johnny thunders tech and doing sound for the New York dolls. He did stuff for Iggy and the Stooges. Uh, he did stuff for Aerosmith. Uh, he did stuff for Ace Freely for kiss for, you know, all these different people. I had met him at a show at a, at a trade show uh, and he loved my stuff and he was very nice and 
you know, it was awesome to meet. And I knew who he was. It was like, you know, he's one of those people that, you know, where some people are like, oh my God, Mike Ness, which Mike, meeting Mike Ness is, is cool. But to me, meeting Nightbob was like, holy shit, this is, night. oh, sorry, this is Nightbob. I did it twice in a row. Oh, I almost did it. That was a good one. That was a good one. I had to listen to two beeps. Oh. Anyways, and it's part of it is because of the excitement of the story is why this happens. So we're doing a different trade show in uh, Nashville, the Nashville Amp Expo. Uh, I knew I knew Pearl Jam was was testing this stuff out, but I didn't really have any answers to whether they liked the stuff or not. Uh, I get a call. We're setting up the trade show booth. Night Bob calls me. He's like, "All right, we're in Nashville too. Uh, bring an amp. Walter wants to try one. Sound check is in thirty minutes." <laughs> okay. Wow. Uh, the door you go, I guess. I, yeah, I literally I went. All right, guys, I would have you. I can't leave you behind. Let's go get in the car. The screw the room. We'll deal with it when we get back. Grabbed an amp and I'm like, we may not get this back for the show. Let's go. Drove over to Soundcheck. Soundcheck had just ended. I'm like, oh crap. All right. So you know, he introduced me to Walter. Very nice. You know, and you know, Night Bob's like, don't go anywhere. Just stay here for a minute. Go, All right. So you know, ten minutes goes by and. Walter gets the whole band back out, takes the amp up on stage, and sound checks the amp for like 15 minutes. So we're getting our own private Steely Dan concert for me and my two buddies helping me out at the show. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> we're, in the, we're in an arena in Nashville, and like, we're the only three people watching. This is great. I get a text from my buddy Andrew, uh, Andrew McKay from the President of the United States, and he goes, uh, your amp just went on the PJ bus. They're going on tour. They're taking them. So I found out that I got Walter Becker and Pearl Jam at the same time, literally sitting in this in a chair, finding out for definite that both of them had, were going to do this. That's pretty cool, man. That's why. That's really cool. That was pretty awesome. That that was definitely a, a one of those highlights. Of like, yeah, it was pretty good. I don't really care what happens for the rest of the show. Uh, that's great. I'm also, by the way, at the end of the show, be prepared. I'm going to send you like five different, you know love letters to pass on to beautiful people you're mentioning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this idiot I talked to on a podcast. So let me do uh, I, I will pass on anything I can. You know, Walter, <laughs> unfortunately, is dead, so I can't really give him anything. I was actually thinking Andrew from the President Service. <laughs> oh, I mean, Andrew, Andrew works at the shop usually. He's one of the guys that's been around for a couple of years, and I've known Andrew. He's been a player, and he lives... 15 minutes away from here. So Andrew's great. <laughs> that's great. Oh, wow. Do you think he'd like to do a podcast sometime? <laughs> he would love to. Oh, that's it. Look, there we go. We'll have to talk about that after the show. Um, so if I can, I'm going to really shift gears here. Um, and I want to get into your, your coronet. So I want to, how did that come about? Because... So I was trying to segue this actually with, with Zinky and then I was going to do oh, it. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm trying to skip chapters in the book here. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, but sometimes this happens. One of the things that Bruce Zinke taught me about, because Bruce Zinke owned at, at the time Supro and Park. Mm. He was the guy that, that that owned those trademarks and kind of revived the brand. And then he sold uh, Supro off, and then he sold Park off to two different people because uh, Mitch Colby owns Park, and uh, I can't remember the guy's name who owns the Supro, but the you know they're, they're, they both own them now. But Bruce told me how easy it is to buy up old trademarks that people have abandoned. Also had to buy trademarks that people never bothered trademarking. So a long time ago, we did the white amp, which Fender had done. Uh, Leo Fender in 1955 did an amplifier called the white amp in a lap steel. It was a matching set and called it the white higher fidelity. 
Model 80 as a tribute to Forrest White, who was the head of the production, the floor production. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's just a little oddball amplifier. And, you know, we checked. We couldn't find anybody in the, in the White family that would even call us back. Fender didn't care. So I bought the trademark for White. And so we started remaking the Whites exactly like they did a long time ago. So fast forward a couple of years to 2016. So at the time, uh, Gibson was being very litigious to a number of my friends over the SG shape, the Les Paul shape, and uh, the Firebird shape. It doesn't really sound like them, but <laughs> that doesn't okay. sound like the Gibson we know. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Carry on, so, continue. So one of the things about Gibson is uh, with the, the trademarks of stuff, uh, they never trademarked any of their products back in the day because people just didn't do that. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't as, as people weren't suing people like they do now over stuff like this. Mm. So when they came to trying to do the Les Paul, they, and we've heard you know, the, the, about Paul Reed Smith and the lawsuit with them back and forth and how they lost their rights in the European Union over the Les Paul. Because they never trademarked it, what they tried to do afterwards was take a picture of it and trademark that, which is, is very weak footing. But they have a lot more money than most of us builders, uh, and, and they're very heavy-handed. And so what they like to do is they will drag stuff out until you're broke. Mm. Uh, yeah. it, it's how <laughs> they do stuff. That definitely seemed like the strategy. Yeah. So, so uh, and they will be listening to this, so hi, Gibson. Um, <laughs> I, I doubt uh, that. Well, I, I, think, uh, I think that's the only reason they haven't directly hit up uh, Heritage Guitars is mm. because they're now owned by BandLab. Uh, well, uh, that's not true because they're actually having a problem with Heritage Guitars this year. Yeah, well, I think Heritage, uh, they fired, they filed, excuse me, um, they basically uh, filed a thing for the Gibson to stop harassing them or threatening them, threatening to sue them or something like that. Yeah. But Gibson well, they'd already, had, they had already had an agreement uh, and then Gibson violated it to try and sue them again. It's, it's very convoluted oh, as okay. to how it happened. Uh, it's not finalized yet. So um, anyways... So my friends were all getting, you know, and it was really annoying because what they would do is that they would send somebody a cease and desist. Uh, you know, Doug Cower is one of the guys that they went after. He's a, a I, I don't think he'll mind me telling this story uh, over his Banshee model, which was a fairly, it was a slightly modified version of a Firebird. Phenomenal guitar. Yeah. I, I've got mm -hmm. one and I have a single pickup one, a single P90 one here that I absolutely love. Oh, that's the stuff right there. Uh, and so, you know, Cower got a cease and desist from Gibson and, you know, their attorney, his, his attorney, who happens to also be my attorney, uh, was dealing with Gibson. And they basically said, you know, this is, you know, trademark law. We'll change, make all these different changes so we can keep the name of it because that's not anything that's stepping on your toes. You know, these are our design changes, so it's not stepping on yours. Uh, what do you guys think? And they couldn't get Gibson to call them back. Like they, <laughs> Gibson, just, Gibson just like wouldn't say anything to them. So at the time, and seeing all this, I was like, you know, this is kind of royally screwed up. Uh, and because I knew about the white amp thing and how to search for a trademark, I looked, you can go online and look, the, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office has something called the test search, T-E-S-S, -S, and you can look up any live or dead trademarks that exist. So I went up and I went online and I typed in Coronet. I realized that Gibson never bothered to trademark the Coronet. So the other thing about trademark law is if you don't make a product for sale for three years, you lose whatever trademark claim you had on it. 
So they hadn't made the guitar since 1999 for sale in the United States, which meant that it was free and available. They had never trademarked it, so I wasn't even buying their old trademark. So I bought the trademark. It was like $700. <laughs> Absurdly cheap. Well, that's how much it costs to, to, to get a trademark. Buying a trademark is not that expensive. It's, you know, part of the expense is defending the trademark and that you have to put the product into production. You can't just buy it and sit on it. So we immediately started making coronets. Okay. And we, you know, we, we, mm -hmm. we went through all, so, and I've, I have one. I have, a, I have a 1961 coronet that I absolutely love. It's a phenomenal guitar. Uh, very underrated. They didn't make that many of them. It's it's a lot like for people that have never played one. It's kind of like a mix between a Les Paul Junior and an SG. It's a little heftier than an SG. It's got the you know uh, the, I've got a three and three headstock one, which has got a really good neck shape. Uh, they're lightweight. You can play them for three hours. There's a lot of versatility to them. Uh, it's just a very underrated guitar. Uh, and vintage examples tend to be uh, for the three and three headstocks. You know, they're four to five thousand dollars. They're not. They're not. You know, for a good condition one, it, it, it's not. Uh, it's not an affordable product. So this went from from, from not being made by you to being made by you in a fairly short time span. Then, well, it took. Uh, it didn't take that long. I've got friends that I know of that were all in, that are already making guitars. So it was a matter of a couple of phone calls of, all right, this is what I want to do. Can we do this? And they went, yeah, there's no problem. Said, all right, well, we own the trademark. We did, we, we did through all the legal hassles. Let's make this. So we did. And uh, we brought them out at, at NAM in January of 2017. So one of my favorite parts of this story is that, you know, we had our booth there. We were showing off the guitars. And uh, I actually was not in the booth when this first started happening. But I got a text from one of my guys. and was like, uh, come back to the booth. Gibson's here. <laughs> like all right and, I, and my attorney was with us he was there we we knew we were in the clear we knew there was nothing they could do about it. uh but so we went went over there and by that time they were just leaving so i didn't really get a chance to talk to them but uh andrew did of andrew mckay of the president's and so did tommy and we also got pictures of them taking pictures of our guitars so gibson found out about that we were doing this in 2017 and i kind of expected at that time to get a phone call or a letter right? because it was fairly new coming out and Gibson is known for, they go around Nam. their attorneys go around Nam Wednesday night. <laughs> you get a letter Thursday morning. <laughs> well, there's a, there's, there's a trademark uh, compliance department at Nam so that if there's any problems, they can get them taken care of before the show opens Thursday morning. And Nam does this for everybody. So it's, it's not just Gibson's not special. That they they're the only people. Like if, if somebody was doing satellite up there, I could get them shut down before the show opens. Because uh, I own the trademark for satellite, also. Uh, and so you know, but so Gibson knew that we did this, and you know they they took pictures. They were they actually said we made very nice guitars. They were very impressed. They thought it was amusing, uh, and they went on their way, and that was it. And, and like I said, I really was expecting the the phone call or something, and nothing happened. Mm. Like okay. Yeah, I got to admit, it is surprising the uh, the time, the space of time between that and the lawsuit coming down the pipe. Um, oh. Given that, you know, Henry himself was so notorious for being spearheading that aggressive litigation. He did. So if you go online and look at, at the test search, you will realize that Gibson really only goes to trademark stuff or worries about it right when they decide to put something out. 
So for instance, they trademarked Melody Maker this year. Really? Wow. But I mean, yeah. but at the same time, That's they've a... kind of always made Melody Makers, right? So it'd be tough. No, to... there, no there were there were there were gaps. There were, ga- yeah. there were gaps in productions. But the fact that they didn't spend the seven hundred dollars to get it, so they it, once you own the federal trademark on something, you're almost untouchable. So, like, if Gibson were to put out a guitar right now and sell it as a coronet or any company, if Fender did or Rickenbacker or you know yeah. John's Guitars, I can go after them because I own the federal mark, and I can get the entire amount of money that they've sold the guitar for at retail, plus damages. Wow. That's so if Gibson crazy, were to man. put out a, yeah, if Gibson decided to put out a, an Epiphone coronet, as they had announced they were going to do earlier this year, uh, I can go and get. So yeah. there's, so, there's so, the rub. So now you're seeing how this is going to come about. Yeah, there's yeah. the rub. But we're, jumping, we're slightly jumping ahead of the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just was, I would, yeah. <laughs> I, I so, was, yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm going to shut up and just, I'm fascinated, but <laughs> yep. so continue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so we, we've been having a great time of this. I have friends that work at Gibson that know about this. I have friends that were working at Fender that knew we were doing this, that now work at Gibson that know that we were doing this. There was no real surprise that we were doing this. So, you know, and so we did it for, you know, January of 2017 till when Gibson did this is an extra three years that we've had this three and a half years from when they decided to try and file a suit which is over and above the amount of an abandoned trademark issue. So they abandoned it in 99. Then they they knew for almost four years that we did it. They don't have a claim in court that will actually hold up. So, you know, we've been doing this and, and having a lovely time of it. And we started to get, well, it's always been, you know, our, the guitar is 2950. It's still an expensive guitar. In, in my opinion, uh, but we make them by hand. We do them to vintage specs. They are the finest guitars that we can make. You know, we are nitpicky about everything about them. Uh, and I couldn't be happy with how they turned out. We also have a variety of people that are playing them. Uh, there's a guy named Mark Ford, uh, Rich Robinson. Uh, uh, well, I can't remember his name. The guy, the guitar player from REM has four of them, I think now. Uh, you know, so we have, it was giant major league players that were immediately coming in to playing. Which I uh, totally and, get. Cause like, I, lo- I've always loved the cornet and, you know, never had the money or the, uh, when I had the money, the, the opportunity to pick up one that was a vintage one, for example. Um, so when you came on the scene making these things and knocking it out of the park <laughs> with the. Thank with you. with the quality, it's oh man, thank you. Anytime somebody kind of resurrects a treasure like that, I, I think it's something to be praised. So, um, thank you. It's Peter it's, Buck. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just does not surprise me at all that uh, that you had these these this level of of pro interest in that guitar. It's amazing. It's a great great guitar. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, Peter Buck is the guitar player for REM. It just you know some, sometimes I, I forget and it, it takes a minute, but. So, uh, all of a sudden, out of the blue, uh, my attorney called me up uh, earlier this year and said, uh, I just got a notification that Gibson is uh, suing you through the, uh, the trademark court over uh, the coronet. 
I went, okay. He's like, did you get any paperwork on this? I said, no. It's like, yeah, that's not the way they're supposed to file this. <laughs> so I said, all right. He's like, watch your mail. I said, okay. So a couple of days later, I got a letter from, from uh, the trademark office, a giant packet of uh, basically the Gibson is suing us over the coronet and this giant timeline. Uh, and they have the court date going from, you know, I think it was June of this year to December, 2021. So like, you know, 18 months of lawsuit. Uh, and so, you know, called my attorney. I said, what do we do? He's like, well, I mean, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'm not going to roll over just because they're suing us. He's like, yeah, no, neither am I. Because he's, he's dealt with them. He's dealt with their lawyers before. He's dealt with all this stuff. I said, well, can we still make them? He said, well, you own the trademark. There's no question of you owning the trademark. All right, well, what do you want to do? He's like, well, I think we should write them a letter before we do anything. I said, all right. I said, are you willing to settle? I said, yeah, I have a price. Everybody's got a price. I said, here's what we're going to do. So we said, let's write them a nice letter and say, you know, I wish you had approached us in the beginning. You know, we, we really hope that, you know, you guys are reviving Gibson brand as we see it. Bam, and this is an exciting time for you. This will cost us, you know, if we go lawyer this up, it's going to cost us one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars. It's going to cost them one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars to try and fight this out in court. The Cornet name is not worth four hundred thousand dollars. It's not worth one hundred thousand dollars. So I said, listen, so here's our price. It's less than half of what it's going to cost to do this. You know, let's make this into a feel-good story. Everybody can be happy. You guys can own it outright. We'll finish up with this. We have another guitar in the works already, so I'm not that worried about it. And everybody can be happy. This will be great. Thinking that we were doing the right thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, ye, you, you, you pure-hearted, good-natured people. Yeah. I, 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 one of my downfalls and weaknesses, I guess, is that I always try and do the right thing, and then it, this is what comes back. And you know, No, no, no. You know what? I think that, that is definitely a strength, sir, and I really oh, yeah, commend you for it. I just think that if... I don't I don't know if there's an individual to say this about it with Gibson. Not anymore with Henry being gone. Um, but I would say that, uh, if let's use a star Wars analogy, if there's uh, an evil empire in the guitar world, uh, I, th I think, I think Gibson might be it because, uh, their corporate approach seems to be bullish. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And that when, when, so the guy that took Henry's spot used to work for Levi Strauss, JC something. Yep. JC something, um, uh, JC Strauss, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, JC Strauss. Uh, you know, they, they were very much, you know, we're <laughs> not you know, Strauss, but it's it's not Strauss. I can't remember his name. No, I, I know it, it's fine. It doesn't really matter. Uh, they were going to be not as litigious. They were going to be very nice. You know, they're going to be you know a, a, you know reviving the history of the brand. Yeah, it was all really then, great press release. <laughs> And then, well, then the Mark Agonisi video, the Play Authentic video got released. Yes. And it was like, oh, Jane. oh, yeah. J.C. Curley. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah, and Gibson knew it, too. They mm -hmm. knew it the second that video hit the air. Because, and we, we did, we talked about this. We, the we did, the very that, beginning. That yep. video got yanked off the internet because 
the uproar was within 12 hours. It was just bananas. Just yeah. bananas. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, and they, there was a couple of other things that happened around that same time. The, uh, the Echo Park Joe Bonamassa Twitter feud was delightful because uh, they had, Gibson was hiring a couple of small builders. They were going to make the fancy version of their guitars yeah. as their way of kind of saying that they were going to be involved in all of this. And uh, Gabe over at Echo Park posted a picture of uh, uh, Epiphone Joe Bonamassa model in one of Echo Park's yeah. flying Vs that he had copied from Joe. And I think, I mean, there Joe's was, response was delightful. Yeah, uh, he was he was pretty, pretty frank and honest. Yeah, absolutely. And then all of a sudden, all of that stuff got shut down very quickly. You know, they were making a couple of steps that were really kind of bullying in a weird way with a variety of stuff. But so I'm making a small assumption here, but there is a interview with Epiphone. The, the one of the ep- people that work for Epiphone with Premier Guitar Magazine. It is on YouTube. You can look it up. Uh, they are discussing the summer 2020 Epiphone collection, which is the Crestwood, the Wilshire, and the Coronet. There is uh, unofficial word on the street that I can't confirm or deny is that the guitars are already built. Would not surprise me. Nope. It would not surprise me either, because I think that JC is trying to revive the Epiphone brand with some of this. And this would be a great thing for them to have as some flagships for Epiphone, especially when sales are down because of Corona and all that stuff. I think they've done a much better job with Epiphone and the marketing than they have with Gibson. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. Uh, So... I think they found out that all of a sudden they can't put the coronets out. So that's one third of it. And they don't want to put them out and not have that as part of the lineup. And they definitely don't want to put them out and have to pay me anything. Mm. So uh, I think, again, this is my opinion. uh, One of the higher ups, it might've been JC. It might've been another person uh, told their attorneys to take care of this. They don't pay the bills. So they don't care how much it costs. So trying to bargain the way that we did and agree to a settlement uh, was met on mostly deaf ears. Uh, A junior attorney that works for their law firm hit my attorney back and said, uh, we might be willing to settle, but we think that you're asking too much. Uh, And... And this starts getting into a gray area of how much I can actually say about what the offer was. We, that well, they we don't. We don't have to touch on any of that if you don't. Well, I, I, I'm 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 going to touch on it as much as I I can without getting anybody in trouble. Uh, and this is this was you know by this time I had already posted up on Instagram and and told the world what was going on. Anybody that was if you look on the uh, U.S. Patent and Trademark Office all the information that I put out there about getting sued by Gibson is already publicly available. It was not anything that was private. Uh, we got a great response out of it, to be honest. We, um, <laughs> yeah, yep. I remember I was, uh, I remember, I remember the day you posted that initial post about it on your Instagram. I, I there's some comments by me, uh, from a personal account, even on, on that thread. Well, it, it's, uh, I, I will discuss that a little bit unofficially with you after this is over. <laughs> that I think you'll find it But, uh, Gibson responded uh, and put out a, 
press release that they sent out to about, it seems like 2,000 different guitar-oriented websites about how I was stealing their intellectual property and I was a profiteer uh, and that, you know, uh, basically a horrible person that was you know, trying to ruin Gibson with my, my theft of their products. You dastardly fellow. <laughs> right. Oh, there's a beep for me. Dastardly? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I, man, I know that's a gray area, but dastardly is not a bad cool. word. Cool. No beat for me then. But yeah. how, uh, how, how dare you follow the law, Adam? <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, you know, and, and technically, you know, one of their people leaked our settlement offer to the world. Uh, I don't really care if they did. I would, anyways, you know, if anybody had asked me, but it, they, their people let it, let it out, which is supposed to be confidential information, but. Yeah, that's why I have to be a little bit careful about what I say about their settlement. But their offer of a settlement back to us is essentially um, just having us stop making the guitars. Well, that's generous. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and so very Gibson. <laughs> it, it, it's very Gibson of them, and uh, you know we don't have a problem if we're going to have to drag this out to December of 2021. We're okay with that. So the thing that Gibson, I don't think, expected when they decided to go down this route is that they have expected us to roll over and fold. So uh, because I was prepared for this and because my other you know, background is in antiques and history is that I have all my defense. All of our stuff about Epiphone history of the coronets, I've got more than I think Gibson does. I know I have more than their attorneys do. and I know I have more than the people behind the lawsuit are thinking about. Mm. So... Um, you know, and I've, you know, my attorney, he's wonderful. Michael Hoisington, great guy. If you ever need an intellectual property attorney in San Diego. Uh, <laughs> All right. There, shout out great, Michael Hoisington. <laughs> great plug. Shout out Michael Hoisington, a great guy. So, uh, and he'll probably listen to this and be like, oh, you shouldn't have said that. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for um, doing the good work, Michael. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and this is also part of why I know that Gibson will be listening to this podcast at some point, because uh, Gibson has gone through and listened to apparently every podcast I've ever done trying to find evidence of my theft, but I can't steal something I own. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay. Then on that note, I'm going to very clearly state in this moment, <laughs> we all want to be fans of you, Gibson. Yes. All of us. Me too. Absolutely. I, everybody I talk to wants to be a fan of Gibson. We really, really do. You own a glorious Gibson guitar. I love my Gibson. Yeah, yep. I've had a lot of Gibsons. I've loved almost yep. every single one of them. And we all really want to be fans of Gibson. But we want to be fans of them for the right reasons. Yeah. Right. Your name, it's not good enough anymore. Just having the yep. name isn't good enough. We want you to be a great company, too. Absolutely. When the, when the new new management came in, Henry was out. I was so excited to seeing the guitars at NAMM, what they were doing. Oh, oh gosh, me too. me too. I think yep. even some of our early episodes, I was raving like, this yep. is exciting. This is the right direction. This is good. We're going to get quality guitars. None of this lawsuit crap. Right. And then a year later, it was like, why am I betrayed in my yeah. faith? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, I've got, and, and I've told people many times, like, don't let anything going on with me. I'm not trying to boycott Gibson. I'm not trying to get people not to buy a Gibson product. Uh, you know, I've got, uh, I mean, I, I'm looking at six Gibson guitars that I own right now. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, they have made some of the best guitars ever. You know, they're, these are legacy things that, you know, 
that drove the entire industry, the entire music industry. You know, how, where is rock guitar without the Les Paul? Oh, yeah, exactly. As far as you I'm know, concerned, let, the SG is is an example of a perfect guitar. Right. You know, and you look at this and be like, you know, and trust me, I love Fender also. You know, if you know, but if rock guitar was only Fenders, oh gosh, that'd be boring. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it would be very different. It would be, you know, tremendously, you know, so, you know, I, and I really thought that, you know, when we made our offer, you know, I was perfectly willing to stand down and, you know, help promote them. I thought this would be a great PR story, you know, that, that you know, and honestly, we would have done the same thing they were doing with the small builders if they wanted. If they wanted, you know, a 50, you know, custom shop by us coronets to go with their production line ones we would have done that you know what I'm, done super, I'm sorry to interrupt you i'm super yeah. glad it didn't go down that road um are you aware of the guitologist on uh youtube no he's uh he's got a cool youtube channel where he just it's a lot of news and stuff he also does some history of guitar stuff sure. and uh he was someone leaked gibson's essentially the licensing agreement that they were making some of these smaller boutique builders. Oh yeah. Uh, for example, banker guitars. Right. Uh, so somebody leaked one of, and maybe every licensing agreement is slightly different. I highly doubt it. Knowing Gibson, they're, probably, they're not probably, very probably. flexible. Right. Um, but the license, the, the agreement that Gibson was coming to with, with essentially licensing their, stuff with other people like the explorer and the v and stuff like banker guitars is, is doing which is really disputable as to whether or not they can do that because change the heads, you know like they've already lost that fight in the european union right um but essentially what it comes down to is you are unbelievably if you sign into this licensing legal licensing agreement with gibson you are unbelievably beholden to them mm -hmm. they can at any reason come in inspect your work and say not good enough Chop it up, throw it in a dumpster. Oh, yeah. It could be a finished guitar. They don't care. You are right. also legally forbidden from ever, and I literally mean ever in your lifetime, bad-mouthing Gibson. And so right. is anybody who works for you. That's right. the intensity of that contract, which is insane. It, it absolutely is. And it's probably written by a bunch of lawyers, and it's probably not enforceable if you have a really good lawyer to back you up. I can't see how it would be. For one thing, unless every employee in your company signs that contract, yeah, I don't see how be, that's enforceable. Yeah, you can't. It's, it's not. You, freedom of speech is not something you can contractually take away from somebody. But they're trying. That's the thing. Is oh, yeah. like, I'm not an American. Well, I don't know the law inside and out with the U.S. stuff, but... That to me was just like, and it's a really interesting video. I'd encourage anybody listening to this to, to watch it for that reason. Um, but it's really like, that's the level of legalese that Gibson is out there throwing punches in the ring with. Like, it's it's crazy. And again, dear Gibson, not what anybody wants to see from you. Yep. Well, the thing is about all the small builders that are doing all of this is Gibson's not losing sales to them. No, I, 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 no, exactly right. Exactly like, right. The, the the people that buy boutique guitars aren't buying Gibsons. It doesn't matter what they're making. You know, it's it's not that like I'm I'm not taking any money out of Gibson's pro pockets by doing this. The thing is, so, somebody who's buying a Gibson because they want the name Gibson on the headstock, they're right. going to buy a Gibson. Right. And, Absolutely. You know, their sales. 
guitar-wise, were strong even in the darkest of Gibson's years recently. Um, it was their technology division that really tanked them. Yeah. And those people are not going to be dissuaded by, well, just to use you as an example, a satellite coronet. If right. They, you know? It, so, so it, it, it is disappointing, but it's also, you know, this is uh, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize. And, and you know, if you want to go on, uh, you know, the, the gear page or any of the other you know, websites of stuff where people are discussing these things, there are two different threads about the Gibson satellite coronet issues. One is in the small builders form and one is in the major builders form, and they are both directly opposite sides of the coin as to who thinks who is right. There's a lot of people that think that Gibson is good old boy, small business that, that you know, that is, is these, you know, grassrootsy type of thing. You know, Gibson is a major $500 million corporation. Mm-hmm. They're no different in than any other corporation. And the, you know, it, it's, you know, it's a different commodity at the end of the day, but it's you know, they're no different than Apple or Walmart or you know you could pick any big company out there and their purpose is to make money. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think that's the side of the coin arguing for them. I would, and this is me just spitballing hypotheticals here. My hunch is that that is a wishful thinking <laughs> from years of being right. Gibson fans and right. B, that is exactly what Gibson's marketing is always trying to push. That's what Gibson TV on YouTube is pushing. That's what it Mark is. Agnesi is out there spewing all the time. That's their marketing is we're just craftsmen. Right. Making- Samuel Adams, Sam Adams beer, the logger of Boston. Yeah. You, know, you think it's just, you know, guy in a funky outfit with a bad haircut making logger like they did in the 1700s. I mean, it's Budweiser it's that's what you know so when you have these discussions about this stuff and you know who's right and wrong you know the the small builders and i'm not just tooting my own horn i can give you a list of of all the people that are out there saul cole uh sam evans uh matt proctor uh there's tons of builders out there that are all dedicated to their craft uh and and these are names that those are you know my friends you know doug cower already mentioned uh but there are literally thousands of small builders that are making 10 guitars a year, mm-hmm. 20 guitars a year at the most, you know, and they're the ones that are really driving the legacy of the guitar and they're doing the art, they're doing the innovation, they're doing the craftsmanship. Uh, you know, Paul Reed Smith, uh, Fender, uh, you know, those companies, Gibson, they're doing a fine job of mass producing an instrument, but it's a very different what they're doing. The passion isn't there. The drive isn't there. You know, the dollar signs are. Well, uh, and, and so they have to be, right? They're they're publicly yeah. invested companies. Those are not. Uh, they're the days, not. You know, they're not publicly invested, though. Well, isn't Fender publicly they're, traded? No. Oh, it is privately traded. Sorry, so, I, the, I don't follow this was, close all right, So this is a little, <laughs> here's a little aside for you. So Fender and Gibson at one time were both going to become publicly traded entities. And there's a lot of speculation as to why they didn't. And one of the really good answers is because they would have to release their numbers of how many instruments they were actually making. Yeah, that would be mm. a solid thing. It's really hard to argue your craftsman 
and you're making a hundred thousand strats every two months or something like that. Yeah. Well, right. Not well, Fender it, does per se. They don't really take that kind of an angle at all. But well, I mean, Fender's got a bunch of di- di- different divisions, and I, I think Squires are delightfully great, uh, inexpensive instruments to get into, especially if you are a beginner. They're a playable thing right out of the box. Yeah, actually, I have know, a Squire Jazzmaster right next to me that I love. It's yeah, the made in Mexico stuff is great. The American stuff, the custom shop is, is phenomenal. You know, but there's some custom shop stuff where you it would be interesting to know how many they actually made. You know, if they make a Jimi Hendrix Strat, for instance, are there 50 of them or are there 5,000 of them? Because that changes the, the rareable rarity yeah, factor I, of the I instrument. I definitely think that, uh, I think the custom shops, here, okay, I want to say I'm a huge fan of Fender, generally speaking. I don't really have a problem with how their companies run or anything like no, that. Me either. I, like, I, I love Fender. I think they're yeah. great. But I will say the custom shop stuff is where I'm kind of like, I don't know how I feel about some of it because you can just buy a standard custom shop instrument. You can buy like a 63 light relic, blah, blah, blah. It's, and it's, it's more or less a factory made thing. Um, unless you're getting a master built one or a special series. Right. But the prices on them are, are really, really high. I have the same issue with, with Gibson from another angle. Adjusted for inflation, what we pay for a Les Paul standard now is pretty much the same price as you paid for a Les Paul standard in the late 50s. Right. But the Les Paul standard that we get <laughs> has way less attention to detail, way more automation. The pri- the cost of making that guitar has gone way down, astronomically. Mm-hmm. But if, and, uh, talking in inflation terms, we're paying the same dollar. But people in the late 50s got a late 50s Les Paul, which is now, you know, coming out of the custom shop in Gibson and costs you $7,500, $8,000. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, oh, oh, wait a minute. So why why am I paying these numbers? So for for me with the custom shop uh, Fender stuff, uh, and I've had a variety of, of custom shop. I still have a Fender custom shop uh, instrument here sitting next to me. Well, it's actually in the other room, but it's it's relatively close. Uh, they're usually the attention to detail that they put on the custom shop is better than what you get off the line. But the thing about Fender is, is that their attention to detail on all their instruments, from Squire all the way up, is pretty, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So it, that's why it's sometimes hard to differentiate what you're paying the extra money for. And that's the that's master, where, you know, the master built stuff is always, I mean, it, I've, I've never seen a master built instrument that I didn't think was financially worth the amount of money because of the amount of effort that goes into it. And that makes sense to me because that is literally one guy seeing an instrument through all the way down the line. Like every right. step of the process is just, yeah, yes. I'm John master builder and I built this guitar. Yeah. Right. That's expensive, whether it comes from Fender or whether it comes from a small builder. It's that's just, it's a lot right. of time. If you want that attention, level of detail and quality and having a, a, a person do it, you know, uh, Scott Walker, phenomenal guitar builder, you know, and they are master built Fender prices because he is basically that level of quality. But he doesn't, you know, he makes guitars that are Scott Walker guitars. He doesn't make them that are uh, Fenders or, or he doesn't make a Strat or a Tele or a Les Paul or a, you know, any of that stuff. So, uh, but they're, you know, that's... He is out there. There's a lot of people like him. So, yeah, you know, it's, I get it. You know, and, and also I think with the master builds, um, I don't know that I would ever buy one because I would be afraid to play it. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a, a really, really old Rickenbacker once that I love. I love Rickenbacker. Yeah. And it's one of it's one of those guitars that I just oh man, I swooned over that thing so hard. But I was petrified to play it because in the back of my mind, I knew what its value was because right. it was an original vintage rick from the that was early early 70s it was in fantastic condition it's a very expensive instrument i mean rickenbacker is not a cheap instrument to buy brand new no. right. you know it was just like if i damage this i am throwing a thousand dollars out the window <laughs> that was all i could think of and so oh, yeah. i hardly ever played this guitar and i eventually just i sold it because i was like i'm not enjoying this instrument i'm in love with it but i'm afraid to touch it Yeah. It's like having yeah. a vintage T-bird that you mostly just polish in your driveway. <laughs> What's the point? Right. But there, there. I mean, we refer to those people as blues lawyers, but yes, they are. Uh, uh, and, and no offense to lawyers that play the blues. I'm sorry, but <laughs> there is a, there is a, a group of people that spend a lot of money to buy guitars just to hang on their walls. Somebody's got to buy those private stock 10 top PRSs, man. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, the thing I love about Rickenbacker is if for anybody that has never been to Nam, Rickenbacker has never changed their booth. It's exactly <laughs> the same. That's great. The, the pictures, the pictures of the Rickenbacker booth. If I, if you don't tell me what year it is, no idea. I wouldn't be able to tell you. You know what? That that actually just sounds that sounds so right for them. It does, and Rickenbacker has never changed, and they. They've come out and said publicly they will never make a budget Rickenbacker. No, they just do it, and they don't need to. They they make they make all. That's the, the reason why batches. they don't do it. Yeah, and well, I love I love their. I don't love the eighteen month wait, <laughs> but I, I love the fact that they just do their guitars in batches and they put them out to their dealers and you get what you get and that's it. They keep their demand high and their production very specific. Mm -hmm. Yep. And they're a successful company year after year after year. In my mind, that's a perfect company because nothing it can is. grow infinitely. Sooner right. or later, and you hit a tipping point and you die. Yeah. And, or at and least there's a gross corruption. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you get the Firebird X. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to crush them with a bulldozer. Because no... That was well played, Adam. That was good. Uh, <laughs> uh, Adam, man, I can't thank you enough for your time. And it's it's a super huge pleasure, truly, truly, that you, you took all this time. And late at night to talk to us. Um, it is really appreciated. And thank you for sharing so openly um, with people about the Gibson stuff and and. Oh, yeah. the back and forth on that uh i really want to have you back on the show sometime so we can talk about anything but gibson and just yeah <laughs> we can just we can, we can talk about metallica next time i got oh, a good story yeah. for you okay okay <laughs> oh my gosh you're gonna kill me <laughs> yeah so um before we let you go before we uh end the recording here where can people best find you where do you where do you like to be reached out uh, Instagram is, uh, we kind of, I've kind of faded off of Facebook, but the Facebook account still exists. Facebook slash satellite amps. Instagram is satellite amps. The website is satelliteamps.com, satelliteamplifiers.com, satelliteguitarshop.com. I think also goes there. There's a bunch of, they all redirect back to satelliteamps.com, but that all works. Info at satelliteamps.com to email me, uh, message me, DM me, 
whatever. Uh, you can mail me gifts at 1322 Gertrude Street. <laughs> 921 <laughs> We're like uh, pizza. Um, <laughs> He's working by himself. So just, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. just one pie and a six pack. He doesn't need five. One pie's fine. You know. <laughs> you been, been what's your favorite pizza? Time, People are going to say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like coffee beans, you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, we'll have to get Asher to send you some yeah. coffee and coffee old cables. That's what we'll <laughs> hook that up. Um, yeah well thanks again so much for, for this man and uh dear listeners uh hope you enjoyed it it's been a little more uh informative and kind of behind the scenes and uh we hope you like it and thanks for listening